how wonderful is our Savior's love for you and for me displayed for us at the cross God is good church Father God in heaven thank you Lord for this morning worship thank you Father for the reminder of your great love for us displayed at the cross and your great love poured out into our hearts by your Holy Spirit Lord change us this morning transform us by your power by your glory and by your Holy Spirit Lord we love you and we praise you and we thank you for church this morning in Jesus' mighty name we pray all God's people said amen amen that's an exciting thing dedicating children to the Lord and doing water baptisms and and doing the Lord's Supper and partaking of uh, the ordinances of the Lord amen amen it's an exciting thing to do if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to James chapter 2 James chapter 2 Calvary Chapel we go verse by verse through the Bible and this morning we have come to James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 and as I was studying this passage this week and preparing for my teaching the thing that kept like why haven't we heard this in the past year why haven't we heard this message in the past year we've seen everything that's been going on in our culture over the past year um, and people you know, I, I watch a lot of podcasts and watch a, listen to a lot of speakers and people talk about the church's response to the social woes that are going on in our culture and as I was studying the passage this week I was like this is the go-to passage this passage that, we, that we've come to this morning James chapter 2 addresses the sin of partiality favoritism which includes racism so this morning we're going to be um, looking at the title of my message is Love Your Neighbor. So let's read uh, the first couple of verses, and then we'll get into our teaching this morning from James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the uh, words up on the screen. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says, My brother, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and says, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? I was just blown away, church, this week as I was studying this passage and meditating on it verse by verse. This is a, uh, a foundational truth for all Christians. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second is what? From uh, Leviticus. Love your neighbor. My, my question I pose to you this morning is this, just to get your minds thinking, thinking about this loving your neighbor and, and not... Uh, being a part of the sin of partiality is how do you view the family of God? How do you view, in your mind, how do you view your brothers and sisters in the church? Secondly, how do you view your neighbors? That's the people that you live with, that you work around. What framework do, do you look at them? And finally, how do you view people 
that are different, (laughs) that are different than you. Family, we have got to view people as God views them. And we can't judge people by their physical appearance. Okay? We can't judge by what's on the outside. We have to do as the Lord does and, and look at people by what's on the inside, that they are people created in the image of God. If you want to view people one or two ways, view people by this way. Either Christ is in them or he died for them. That's the best way. And that's the biblical way to to view people. And James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, teach us how to view and treat all people. Over the past year, we have witnessed through social media and the news the racial discord that has run rampant in our government and country. And the passage that you and I are studying this morning in James chapter 2 is the blueprint of how we are to treat all people. And the bluff... The bluff is a, it's a military phrase that means the bottom line up front is this. Favoritism, prejudice, and judging people by their appearance is a wrong. It's a sin. It's a sin. And James in this passage is going to compare it to, to a, adultery and, and to other sins found in the scripture. So you all ready to dive into it? Yes. All right, let's take a look at it. James chapter 2. Verse 1 says, My brother, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. I'm reading from the NASB, which says personal favoritism. Some of your translations, I looked out across the spectrum of translations. Some of them say uh, with an attitude of respect of person. Some of them say with an attitude of partiality. The, The good, solid, accurate word phrase that's used in most translations in verse 1, is uh, partiality. So what is partiality? Partiality, according to Vine's Dictionary, means to receive the face. To, to receive the face of someone. To view someone's external appearance and then judge them on that basis of what you see. Family, what it means is this. It means to discriminate. It means to discriminate based on appearance, money, Uh, social class, education, skin color, or age. And whether we realize it or not, we all have been guilty of this sin at one point in our life, at some point in time. In our our day and age, we call it sizing them up, checking them up and down and making a judgment. And we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that as Christians. Why? Because this means nothing to God. What a person looks like on the physical outside means nothing to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And go, go look at it later, Deuteronomy 10, 17. It says, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Okay? God looks on the inside. You and I should look on the inside. We should, we should judge people by based on what's on the inside and not by the external appearance. And then he's going to give us an illustration. Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. I do not believe this is a passage on how to treat rich people and how to treat poor people. In the church, I believe that these these next few verses that we're looking at is just simply an illustration 
an example of what partiality is or what favoritism is. But he says in verses 2 and 3, If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, Hey, dude, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. He's given an illustration here, and what he's doing is he's, first off in this passage, he's going to address partiality or the sin of favoritism in the church. And then in a few verses, he's going to go outside the church. But what he's not saying here is he's not saying uh, poor man good, rich man bad, okay? The problem is not in the, the people that he's talking about. Why? Because God loves the rich man, and God loves the poor man. Remember what we, we said read Deuteronomy? There is no partiality with God. He sees the heart. He sees the souls of men. The problem that the author of James is bringing out here in James chapter 2 is how you and I treat them. It's how you and I treat other people. The, the big question is, do we favor one person over the other? And that's favoritism. That is the sin of partiality. Family, brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God, we don't care about your money. In the kingdom of God, we don't care about your popularity. What we care about is your soul. The church is into soul business. It's about building the kingdom of God on the inside of people. And when that's fully manifested, when that's fully built, it manifests itself in the way that they live. And there is no one within the sound of my voice that God cannot do great and mighty things through. From the youngest person to the oldest senior in our room, God has a plan, God has a purpose, and he will use you. And he's not going to use you based on on your age or your skin color or how much money you have or your popularity, he's going to use you based on your willingness to serve him. He's going to use you based on you saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Here is my heart. I want to be used by you. That's the heart of God in the life of the church. Continuing, verse 4. He's driving, the author of James is driving this point home. In verse 4, he says, uh, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Again, looking at the illustration, to favor a rich man over a poor man, what he's saying is, is, is sinful. It's sinful, it's carnal, and it's evil. The soul of the President of the United States holds the same value as the soul of the individual living on Skid Row. The soul of a tribesman living in South American in the South American rainforest holds the same value as the soul of the Queen of England. There is no class of distinction within the body or in the world in God's eyes. He looks at all human beings equally. And Christ is for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what's that word? I love the King James Version. Whosoever. 
whosoever will come to him. But Christ is for all, and we cannot, be, we cannot judge people based on their external appearance. Continuing in verse, let's read verses 5, 6, and 7. He says in James chapter 2, verse 5, says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Now, the first thing I want you to notice in verses 5 and 6 is people get, they gravitate toward the rich man and the poor man. But the subject noun of verses 5 and 6 is not the poor man. It's not the rich man. The subject noun of those two verses is you and I. Look at the opening of verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. He's talking to the believers. That opens up verse 5. And then verse 6, if you notice, it says, but you. So he's not talking about the poor man, the rich man. He's talking about us. He's talking about the believers within the body there in the first century, and he's talking to us today. And the point is this, that we are foolish when we judge by appearance. When we judge by appearance. I don't think I can preach this enough. Man, we are going to be on fire for the Lord, and we are going to make a huge impact on Irmo and Columbia when we get this principle down pat, that we view people as souls, not by their money, not by their wealth, not by where they live, but we view people as souls who need Jesus and we are to build the kingdom into. And here, it's interesting, he talks about the poor in verse 5. And what does he say about the poor in verse 5? He says what? They're rich in faith. They're rich in faith. What we need more than anything, whether they're rich or poor, it doesn't matter, is that people that are rich in the Christian faith people that see people like we do them through the lens of Scripture, through the eyes of the Lord. But the poor people, don't, don't judge someone by their character. They could be rich in faith, and they could bring so much to the body. But notice he says three things about the rich person in verse 6. He says, but be careful. Be careful of gravitating and getting close to the person with a lot of money or a lot of influence or a lot of power because that rich person, according to verses 6 and 7, he can, what, he can oppress you, he can drag you into court, and he can blaspheme you. He, excuse me, not blaspheme us. It says, verse 7, they do not blaspheme the fair name by which you are called. So you, you, you can't judge on external appearances. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, or, or whether you're young or old, or skin color, or ethnic, or whatever. We judge people on the truth of Scripture. And whether they're rich or poor is that they love Jesus, and that they, they, they can build people. They can build the kingdom of God there in the local church. Verse 8. Verse 8, he continues. Now, this is interesting. When you go from verses 7 to 8, I believe James is taking this uh, love for your, he's taking this, this sin of partiality and loving your neighbor. He's talked about in the church. Now, I believe he, he's, he's turning it and he's looking outside the church. Now we're going to go from looking at our love for people in the church to our love for people outside the four walls of the church. Look at verse 8. He says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
We know this from the, the great commandment. Jesus, said, let's, let's, let's look, take a look at it. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, Jesus quotes this, quotes this passage, and he gets it from the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.4 and Leviticus 19.18, where he brings them together, referring to the greatest commandment. And he says, Jesus says, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no other commandment greater than this. This is huge, family. This is huge that um, James, in verse 8, is connecting the greatest commandment. You, you, when, when, when you study a verse, you got to study 10 verses before it and 10 verses after it, so you interpret it in context. But he is, he's given us this verse in the context of not showing partiality. And James is connecting the sin of partiality to the greatest commandment. Because we don't want to show partiality. But instead of showing partiality, we want to love our neighbor. And notice that the Shema, the, the great command that Jesus is referring to here, it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's a commandment from the Lord that we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, that our life revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ that we love him with everything we have. And then after we love God with everything we have, then we love our neighbors. We love the family of God within the church. We, we love our neighbors in our community. We love those people that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that don't live like us, but that we show them love. And if you show favoritism, if you show favoritism, partiality, you are breaking the second greatest commandment, according to uh, Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.4, which was the, the first and greatest commandments. And if you judge people by their appearance, it's sin. It's sin, and we can't do that. We cannot judge people by their appearance. This is why we, we got to get back to the Word, and we got to stay in the Word because being in the word like we are this morning and understanding the precepts of scripture, it protects our hearts. Because the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us has a, a sinful nature that gravitates toward doing what's wrong. And we've got to stay focused on the word so that we stay focused on loving people. Now, there is one type of favoritism that's allowed in the Bible. There's one type of favoritism that, it, that is allowed by God. That's when, and that is when we favor others more than ourselves. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. This is the favoritism that God permits, is when we put our brother or sister's needs before our own needs. When we, say, when we say to a stranger or we say to a neighbor or we say to a brother and sister of Christ, I will love you more than I love myself. I will consider your needs above my own. Now we're talking about loving our neighbor. Now we're talking about the bread and butter of what it means to love our neighbor. It means I will serve you before I serve myself. That 
is the heart and the essence of loving our neighbor. And it was ultimately displayed in the life of Jesus. Do you know that? He, he placed, he placed the, the needs of the world above his own. He came to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. He rose from the grave so you and I. He didn't need forgiveness. Jesus was the sinless, perfect lamb of God. He didn't need forgiveness. He was God. But who needed forgiveness was you and I. And he came to serve us. Let's continue. Verse 9. Verse 9 of James chapter 2. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are, are convicted by the law as a transgressor. As I was meditating on this verse this week, and just verse 9 of this passage that we're looking at, um, the thing that it brought home to me was this, that verse 9 destroys the notion that we, as a civilization, can deal with racism through laws and legislation. Partiality, which includes the sin of being prejudiced, which consumes... Uh, uh, being racist is not, I repeat, is not a social construct. What is a social construct, you may ask? A social construct is something created and accepted by people. It is not a social construct. The sin of partiality is a sin. It's a heart issue. It's, it's a heart issue. This is why the government, or any political party for that matter, does not have the answer. They cannot fix it. You see, laws and policies only deal with the actions and punishments for doing wrong. The government does not address the heart or our sinful fallen nature. It does not matter who is elected or what laws are passed. It's futile without a heart change. That's the bottom line. We have to get to the heart. We have to get to the heart of man. And the sin of partiality is deeply embedded in every sinful, unregenerate heart. And the only answer is Christ Jesus. All others fail. This is why we must return to God and the Bible. You know, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it, man. If you change the heart, everything else on the outside will change. You know, if you, if you change what's on the inside of man, everything else will change. The government cannot change our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. That's the ultimate fix for the sin of partiality, for the sin of favoritism, for the, the, the sin of, of favoring one over the other. And if we judge someone by, uh, other than the way God sees them, it's a sin. It's a sin. Look at verse 9 again. But if you, again, I'm, I'm, my point was Christ is the answer for Christ is the answer and not legislation. Look at verse 9 again. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. It's, it's a sin. It's a heart issue. And only the gospel can deal with that. Continuing in verse 10. Verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he has said, Do not commit adultery. Also said, Do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
Now, if you notice in verse 10, he, he says in one point. What's the, what's the one point he's talking about there? The one point he's talking about there is, is found within the context of the passage, which is the sin of partiality. And what he's saying here is there's no difference. There's no difference between the sin of partiality, the sin of adultery, and the sin of murder. He's putting them all on the same playing field, okay? That, that, sh- that shows you how serious th- this is and how serious of a nature this sin is. And if you hold a racist or prejudiced view, it's the same as murder. It's the same as adultery. And what's the heart fix for fornication and adultery and murder and and hate? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. But within the context of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, Keeping one focus, one thing is within the body of Christ, there is no room for prejudice. There is no room for racism. I'm going to drive this point home probably about five times. I know I've driven home about ten times, but I want to preach it, and I want it to come across. You go home and you meditate on this passage and see if you don't see the same thing I do from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, that we, we can't. And, and, and if you find yourself in, in that gripped by the sin of partiality or racism, what do you need to do? Bring it to his throne of grace. Say, Lord Jesus, please help me. I've hated this person or I've disliked this person or I've shown partiality. Bring it to his throne of grace. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And then, Lord, after you forgive me, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart towards my brother or my sister that's, that's different than me. And teach me how to love them. Teach me how to love them. We, we love people. And we look at people based on what's on the inside and not what's on the outside. This outside material, this flesh, is going to one day fade away. But what's on the inside is what's real and is what will last forever. Amen? Let's continue. Let's wrap this up. Verses, verses 12 and 13. He says, so speak, so speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, that, that statement alone brings joy to my heart. Because before I came to Christ, I lived a life of rebellion. And I deserved one thing. Pastor David, before he came to Christ, he deserved one thing. He deserved judgment because I lived in willful rebellion against the Lord. I knew that if I became a Christian, I would have to give up my sin. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, it ain't happening. It wasn't until God broke my heart down and showed me my sinful fallen nature that 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 I came to him. And instead of God showing me judgment, he displayed his mercy. He displays his mercy. Again, talking about the sin of partiality, we view all people through the lens of the gospel. We, we view all people one or two ways. Either Christ is in them, and they're a brother and sister in Christ that I'm called to love, and I'm called to do life with, 
and I'm called to have fellowship with, and I'm called to help, and I'm called to support. That's one view. But the second view is Christ died for them. And it's all those same things I just said, except I want to introduce them to Jesus. I want to introduce them to the Savior. So we look at all people. Christ is in them, or Christ died for them. And again, Christianity and racism, they do not and cannot go together. And I've had my kids ask me these questions. I've had other people ask me these questions. Well, what about this statement? And what about this statement? And what about this group said this? And, and this group said that? You know, that said something that they claimed to be Christian, but the words that were coming out of their mouth, were, were, they were spewing rhetoric. And to that, to those groups, if I would say this, Pastor David would say this, if you hear someone claiming to be a Christian and spewing racist rhetoric, they're a false convert. They might be religious, but they don't have the real deal. They don't have real Christianity. Because real Christianity, Jesus living on the, <clears throat> on the inside, shows and displays a heart of love for all people. It, it displays a heart of compassion for all people. No matter who they are, where they are, or what they're looking it doesn't matter. That's the heart of God. And there, there's, there's no place for this in, in, in the church. There's no place for this in the life of the believer. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. John says this. We love because he first loved us. We love people with the love that God has shown us. And then in verse 20, he says these words. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's strong. That's strong, family. Do you see how serious God takes this? Do, you understand, do we understand how serious God takes this love for one another? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the, for the one who does not, that phrase is in verse 20 of 1 John 4, the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's very important, family, that we love one another, that we love our neighbors. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second commandment is that we love our neighbors, that we love each other within, in this church, that you love those that you work with, that you love those that you go to school with, and you love those who are different than you. Matter of fact, I would even go so far as to say there needs to be a special measure, extra measure of love for those who are different than you. Let them see the power of the gospel. Let them see the power of Christ in you. Because most people, they may think in their mind, most people that are like you wouldn't like them. But when they see you showing them love, when most people maybe don't show love, it stands as a powerful testimony to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It breaks down barriers. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. I don't remember what verse number it is, but in Ephesians chapter 3, um, Paul says that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And Jesus has broken down that same dividing wall between all people groups, all nationalities, all people, different ethnicities, and all the other differences that are out there. I can't think of them all. But you know, you know what I'm saying? That's who Christ is for. And that's what Calvary Chapel Irmo is going to be. We're going to be a church for all people. All people. So I close. I wrote a statement I want to read to you that, that's, that's my heart on the matter. And I'm very thankful that the Lord brought us to this passage. We spent um, 10 months in the book of Hebrews. Now we're spending 10 weeks in the book of James. And I thought it was, a, God's amazing. Man, when you just study the word and you get into the, the scriptures verse by verse, God just supernaturally brings this stuff to the surface through the study of his word. But do, would you agree with me this morning? These are very important words that we need to understand and hear as we move forward. I, I, believe, I believe we're coming out of this COVID thing. I believe things are getting better now as the spring progresses. And I believe a lot of people are going to start coming back to church. I, I, I had a, a sweet, precious lady here last Sunday. And she was in, she, I, was, I talked to her several times this week. And she was in tears. And she was like, this is the first time I've been to church in a year. And she was loving it. But people are coming back. And when they come back, we need to welcome them with open arms and show them love. And again, we're not looking, some, we're not, we're not looking at outer appearance. We're looking at the heart. But anyway, here's Pastor David's statement to all my brothers and sisters in Christ and to all those who are listening online. Now, it says this. To my brothers and sisters of different economic backgrounds, different skin colors, different cultures, please stay with us. Calvary Chapel Irmo is a church that holds that we are one, all equal. We are all, number two, we're all created in God's image. And, and number three, we are all equally loved by the Lord. We're all, we're all in this together. And we celebrate. We celebrate our differences at Calvary Chapel Irmo. We don't hide them. We celebrate them. We rejoice that we are no longer two separate, but we're a united family. We're a united family under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in all things and in all matters, we are submitted to God's word when it comes to matters of life and godliness. Exciting days are ahead, family. As people come into our church and we love them, we minister to them, and, and we move forward, you know, we're, we're, we're going to love them. We're, we're going to love our neighbors. We're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and then we're going to display this love to all people. Are y'all ready for it? The best is yet to come. And a lot of great things are going to happen here as we move forward at Calvary Chapel Irmo. And again, this passage in James chapter 2, the thing I want to drive home is this reminding us as a church this morning of the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the study of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Father, thank you for reminding us this morning of the truth that we are to love one another. 
We are to love people around us. So, Father, I pray, Father, for the body that they will soak these words in. They'll go home and meditate on this passage and will truly be a church that loves our neighbors. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Finally, I want to present the gospel to you this morning. I want to present the gospel to anyone that may be here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you may be thinking, man, that's no big deal. I got my whole life. I don't need Jesus right now. You don't see the importance of why you need to come to Christ. I want to pose a question to you. If money or water, if I came up to you right now and I had a thousand one dollar bills and I had a glass of water to you, what would you take? Come on, be honest. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You you would take the money. You would take the money. It's called circumstantial priorities. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, as you think about that water or money thought, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you were offered a handful of a thousand dollars, thousand bills, or a glass of cool water, which would you choose? Most people said the thousand dollars, of course. Anyone is in his right mind would. However, if you were crawling through a desert, dying of thirst, and you were offered a glass of water or a handful of a thousand dollar bills, which would you take? The water. Of course. Anyone in his right mind would. It's called circumstantial priorities. Your priorities change according to your circumstances. If there were a way for you to find everlasting life, would you want to know about it? The answer is yes, of course. Anyone in his right mind would. What the Bible contains may surprise you. The scripture speaks of the riches beyond our wildest dreams, the riches of everlasting life. They are offered to you this morning in the form of cool, clear, perfect water. Revelation 22, 17 says, let him that is thirsty come and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. At this very moment, you may not be interested in the offer, but on judgment day, your circumstances will radically change. But on that day, when you step into eternity without Christ, it will be too late. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed once a man to die, and then the judgment. Judge for what? What's God going to judge me for? For our sin, for your sin, for your rebellion. In Christ, in this life, in the here and today, he offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you a complete pardon of all your sin. 
but you must do it in this life. You must bow your knee here today. Uh, Salvation can be described in three words. You must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the process of receiving him, inviting him into your life, you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I apologize. And then you place your trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a complete free gift. There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's already been done at the cross. Amen? Amen.